God to serve. But he, he gave us example after example. We're going to talk about some of those tonight of how we should serve. And so we don't, we don't have to wonder how exactly is that we're going to serve. We're going to have, the Bible calls it a great cloud of witnesses. There's been plenty that's gone before us that, that found out how to serve and they, and they, they got into serving the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so all we have to do is look at what He's given us. And you know, back in the days, back in the Old Testament church, they didn't have a, a Bible like we have today. They couldn't go to a service and, and point to a scripture and say, let's turn to this scripture. They just had to know it. Amen? And so we're going we're gonna to just jump right into this, and I'm going to uh, kind of go in the direction that I felt now the Lord to go. But the same values as the subject that we've been discussing this month. And so let's read uh, the main scripture for this month in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. And it says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. What are the gods which your father served were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell? And then he ends this scripture with this statement. But as for me in my house... We will serve the Lord. And so we're talking about a life of service. And so just to kind of, kind of, to back the truck up a little bit and, and, uh, just, just talk about this scripture just for a little bit here, if you don't mind. Uh, the Amplified Version uh, Bible says it this way. If it is unacceptable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves. This day, whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, the river Jordan, that's what the river they're, they're talking about, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the God's Word translation Bible says it this way, but if you don't want to serve the Lord, then choose today who will serve. Even if you choose the gods of your ancestors served, that your ancestors served on the other side of the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, my family and I will serve the Lord. And so this guy Joshua that's, that's writing this, if you know even just a little bit about, uh, I mean, all you have to, if you've ever seen the movie, the Ten Commandments. Joshua was in that movie, and so Joshua was was around. He grew up in a generation that came out of Egypt when they were in bondage. That when Israel was in bondage for four hundred years, and so Joshua understands. You can say what he's talking about, and so Joshua was among those that were delivered out of bondage out of Egypt which is a type of us being delivered out of sin, isn't it? 
And so Joshua is not just spouting off, but he understands what he's talking about. And especially when he says, but ask for me in my house. And it's not just his, I don't think it's just his immediate household. But I, I believe he's saying that maybe in faith that his, his house, because in the Old Testament when they spoke of someone's house, like the house of David, like the house of Joseph, they were talking about their lineage or their, their generations. So, you know, Jesus was of, of the house of David. He wasn't, he didn't live with David, but he came out of that lineage. And so Joshua, I believe, could have been saying, as far as I'm concerned, right now we're going to serve the Lord and anybody else following after us, if I have anything to say about it, they're going to serve him too. Just like Timothy. Just because his grandmother and his mother served the Lord, Timothy still had to make a decision, and so did Joshua. And so did Joshua's ancestors after him. And so he was making this statement to Israel because it's quite obvious to me anyway that Israel was having some issues with who they wanted to serve. Because why else would you have this discussion with your people unless you had to address some issues with who people were choosing to serve, right? And so he gives them the statement at the beginning of this verse, and it says, choose you this day. It's your choice who you serve. You you know, you're going to have to choose, right? Paper or plastic, right? You have to make choices all day long. I was listening to a guy, audio book that I was listening to about servant leadership and and his wife was, he said his wife was a psychologist and she had studied some things about choices because a lot of psychology is about what people's choices that they make. A lot of people's psychological problems is about choices, bad choices that they make. And so she studied all this about choices and she said that we make in the neighborhood of about 35,000 choices a day. Right? We choose whether we want to hit the snooze button on the alarm or turn it off and get up. Or we choose whether we want to turn the alarm off and roll back over and go to sleep. Before we even get out of bed, we're already making choices. Right? And I'm not going to go into all the choices, but you make, you literally make choices all day when you're driving, when you're at work, when, you know, subconsciously sometimes you're making choices. And that number seems like way out there, far-fetched, but if you if you really had to count all day long, it would blow your mind how many choices you make. And so it's all about the choices that we make in life, and it's all about the choice that we make to serve the Lord. He's not going to make you do it. We're not required to serve Him. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we have to do this. Nobody's holding a gun to anybody's head. Nobody's making you stay in this building. Nobody's making you stay online and listen to this service after service. So it's a choice you're making. Right? And so they couldn't seem to break free of the traditions of their ancestors. Because as time went on, they 
you know, it just seemed like God wasn't listening, so they started serving other, all kinds of other things, idols and all kinds of things. You know, they got bored. And that would happen when they got out of Egypt. Right? When Moses went up on the mountain, they got tired of waiting on Moses. Anybody ever feel like you're tired of waiting on God? Right? Well, God's not answering when I want to. Well, where does it say he has to answer on your terms? We're just supposed to serve him. And so I've gotten trouble there. And so Joshua is just telling Israel, you're going to have to make some decisions. Are you going to follow the traditions handed down by your your elders and handed down by your ancestors? Are you going to follow the the gods of the Amorites. The Amorites were serving all kinds of gods. Of stone and of wood and of animals. And they, they worshipped the sun and moon and stars. And, and they, they had all kinds of rituals and things that they came up with out of their human mind. All kinds of, of, of rituals, of sexual rituals. They were sacrificing their children and just all kinds of things. They were serving these other gods. They were serving all right. They had a life of service all right, but they weren't serving the one true and living God that had delivered them out of Egypt and out of bondage and chose them as chosen people. you got to be careful what you choose, right? Be careful what choices you make. Be careful what decisions you make. That word serve there in that, in that Old Testament scripture that we read, choose you this day whom you will serve. That word serve there, it's, it's a verb meaning to work, to serve. This labor may be focused on things or other people or God. When it is used in reference to things that, to things, that item is usually expressed to till the ground, to work the garden, to dress the vineyard. Similarly, this term is also applied to artisans and craftsmen like workers of fine flax, or you could say like uh, a plumber or a carpenter or electrician or something like that, right? Amen? And laborers of the city. When, when the focus of the labor is another person, the person is usually expressed. Jacob's service to Laban and Israelite's service to the Egyptians and people's service to the king. And it goes on to say, when the focus, this is in the complete word study Bible dictionary, when the focus of the laborer is the Lord, it is the religious service to worship him. Moreover, in these cases, the word does not have connotations of toilsome labor. This is really Really important right here. It's not a toilsome thing. It's not something that you just feel like you just, you're doing it out of obligation and, oh, I'm only doing this because it's just, I'm trying to fulfill my obligation, okay? I gotta go to work. You know, some people go to work every day and they hate their job, but they do it out of obligation because they know they need the check so they can pay their bills and eat and they don't really like it, but they just go anyway. Right? What a life to live, right? But this is not, does not have connotations of toilsome labor, but instead of a joyful experience of liberation. You know, we sing a song, of course, glad to be in God's service, glad to be in God's service. 
didn't have to let me live. He didn't have to let me live. Oh, I'm glad to be in God's service one more time. Not just the church service, but I believe we got to have a, an attitude of gladness and of joy that it's a joy. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. I'm so glad that he delivered me. If there's anything that I can do for you, God, for saving and delivering me out of all of my sin and out of all the mess that I was in, if there's anything at all that I can do for you, please tell me. You ever felt like that? When somebody did something for you in the natural? And you just feel like, I just, I'll give you the shirt off my back if you want. We have that attitude toward people, but do we really have that attitude toward the Lord? And do we really mean it when we say it? A lot of people say things at the altar that they don't really mean. But God takes them at their word, doesn't he? He fills them with the Holy Ghost. But did they really lay everything down? Or did they lay everything down and then pick some stuff back up? God's own people were continually guilty of giving their service and their worship. That, that's the other word that is included as part of this definition of service. It's, it's a form of worship. Right? When they served those other small g gods, they were worshiping them with their life and with their finances and with their children and with the, all the rituals that they were going through that they were making up out of their own minds. They were worshiping a false deity. We don't do that today, do we? We don't worship false gods, do we? Do we? Should I mention some? We don't worship the God of of movie stars and people that we, you know, sports celebrities and clothing lines and and just I could go on and on and models of cars and I mean we don't do any of that, do we? I don't know. You have to ask God. You have to take that up with Him. Right? Because you, if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with God and you're willing to listen what He says, He might tell you some things that, that He needs you to lay down. Because He, He wants you to worship Him. But they were all into self-mutilation and, you know, you remember those, uh, there's 400 prophets of Baal. Remember those guys? Remember what happened with that story? Prophet said, I'll tell you what, I'll have a little contest here with the 400 prophets of Baal. We'll make, I'll make my altar to God and you make your altar to your God. And whoever's aunt God answers by fire, that's the God we're going to serve. And everybody goes, yeah. Right? You know, like, and so what happens? He says, you guys can go first. And what do they do? They start screaming and hollering and, and he mocks them and says, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe your God's asleep. You gotta wake him up. And what do they do in the process of that? They start cutting themselves until the blood flowed out of their bodies. Talk about some rituals that are just 
I mean, we don't have to do that, do we? No. We just have to give our life a ransom. And so that's the kind of things that the people of Israel were into. And so those are the kind of things that we got to be careful not to let ourselves. And we we might tell ourselves, I'm not going to get into all that, but you know, you know, you might be in, into some of that and you don't even realize it. You might not be cutting yourself, but what are you really and who are you really serving? Romans 1, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. I believe that this is Paul kind of referencing back to the people in, in, in the past. And he says, because that when they knew God, did they know God? They knew God. They knew who the God, Jehovah God was because he delivered them out of Egypt. He, he, they watched the Red Sea part. They watched all these mighty things, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. They watched all this stuff happen and they knew it wasn't Moses. And so they knew God. They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Well, that's, that, you could hold, you could talk for days on that right there. But became vain in their, in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. How did their foolish, how did their hearts become vain and their hearts become foolish and darkened? By their own actions. God didn't do that. He allowed it. But He let them go down the, the, that road if they wanted to. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed or corrupted the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. If you look up on the Internet, if you go out there and do a search for Baal, B-A-A-L, or Balaam, B-A-A-L-I-M, which is multiple Baals, there's, you could look, you could look for days at pictures of what they thought was their God. All kinds of weird animals and weird creatures that look like people and animals. I mean, it's just as far as the imagination can go. Right? Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. You want to lust after some, some weird stuff and some things that have nothing to do with me? Go ahead. I'm going to let you. Is it, does he do that? Does it, is it any different for us today? If we, if we choose to go follow after some, something that has nothing to do with the book, is he going to let us do that? Sure. He's not going to stop you. He might try to, but if you're not listening, he's not going to run around in front of you and make you stop, is he? He's a gentleman. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed, corrupted the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served. There you go, those two words. Worshipped and served. Worshipped and served. The creature... More than the Creator, who is blessed forever, Amen. They worshipped. That's that's uh, the definition of that is reverential awe, which is 
to worship religiously, to stand in awe of someone, to reverence, venerate, or worship. They were worshiping idols. You know, that word worship in the Bible, if you really study it out, it doesn't mean this. Oh, hallelujah, and dancing around. You know what it really means? You know what it really means? Bowing down your face to the ground. That's what it means. If you really did what that word means in the in the New Testament, every time it, every time somebody said, "Let's all worship," we all get down on our faces and worship, because that's what that word means. And so those people were bowing their bodies, their mind, their spirit, their their everything about them. They were bowing down to some dumb idol. And they were reverencing a thing. They were serving it. That word served is to serve in a religious sense to worship God. It's supposed to be to worship God. It refers particularly to the performing of Levitical service, generally to offer sacrifice to worship. So it was really intended originally to be for God only. Could anybody tell Israel? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, and him only shalt thou serve. Isn't that what he said? So any worship or service that hadn't, that, that wasn't to God was to it was out of the will of God. Right? I, I, you know, it's in the book. And now, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. And to go slow and not go fast, and because this is a Bible study. So... I'm going too fast, just tell me. So Romans chapter 6 verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign. He's talking to script in this book, the book of Romans. He's talking to the church of Rome, right? Talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to believers. He's talking to Holy Ghost filled Water baptized believers, right? But really, I mean, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So it's really to whomsoever wants to hear it. Because I know the first time I heard some of this stuff, I wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, but something about it stuck like peanut butter on my ribs. It just stuck. And I, I just kind of walked away from that serve, those services, just kind of chewing on that, like, hmm. You know, as a new convert, before I was even a new convert, what does this mean? What, how, you know, because once it gets in you, it just starts kind of eating at you, right? Anybody ever experienced that? Even to this day, there's, there's things that I hear sometimes, and it's just like, I'll think about it for days. 
And days after that, it's just like it it won't leave me alone. And so I just kind of chew on it and dwell on it until I kind of figure out what it, what it's saying to me. And so he's talking to the church primarily, and he's saying, Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. It sounds to me like if he's saying, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that it's a choice. Is it? Is that what he's saying? That's not just me. I, I don't have new fuzzy English or something right here right now, right? That's what that's saying. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. If I'm obeying something, it's like I'm taking a command from, if, if, if I tell my kids to go clean their room and get, and get ready for bed and brush their teeth, and I, I expect them to what? Obey. To follow my instruction and do what I ask them to do, right? So even on their part as a child, obedience was a choice. Because invariably there's one that just refuses to do it. And you find yourself going, didn't I tell you to go brush your teeth and get, yep, yep, well, your sister doing it. What, you know, well, I, you know, I got sidetracked and we're, go brush your teeth and get your room cleaned up for, and then five minutes later you're telling them, what are you doing over here? Why aren't you? Obedience is a choice, isn't it? Go back to that one before. That you should obey it in the lust thereof. That you should obey, that, that you should let that, that sin reign. You, you have to let it reign. It doesn't just jump in there and say, I'm here and I'm taking over. Does it? You gotta let it. You gotta let those birds land on your head and build a nest. Without going, hey, wait, get out of here. You gotta let that thought sit there. It's just a temptation. That's just the enemy lying to you. You gotta let that thing sit there and you have to decide if you're gonna sort of take ownership of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they do own me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then you start taking ownership of that, that thought. Then it, you know, sin when it is finished, you know, it doesn't start out as sin, does it? Starts out as a temptation. We gotta be cognizant of that. We gotta know when it's like, wait a minute, that's, that doesn't sound like something God would say. Well, let me run that through the, the book that's, that I've put in here. Let me see if that matches up with anything that I know is in the book. Oh, it don't match up. You know, you know, you know, a little computer thing going on and you say, oh, nope, that's out of here. That's the devil. Get out of here, you liar. Right? It's all internal conversation you're having with yourself. Next verse. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Once again, it's a choice. You, you, he's saying don't yield your members. You gotta make a choice what you're gonna yield your members to, right? But yield yourself unto God. Once again, it's a choice to serve Him. As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto who? Your members as, I want my members to be instruments of righteousness unto God. I don't want to serve myself. I don't want to serve this world. I don't want to serve anything else. I want my, my instruments, whatever it is that he's given me, 
heart, soul, mind, strength, body to serve Him. Not me. Next verse. For sin shall have not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We were talking about grace, that empowerment that God gives us, right? Next verse. What, okay, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not. Pay attention. Don't you know that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? Don't you know that his servants you are to whom ye obey? Didn't you know that? That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying. Don't you know that whatever you choose to, whatever you decide to, whatever spirit you decide to obey, whatever mindset you desire to obey, whatever thought you desire to obey, that you're a servant to that? His servants ye are to whom you obey. So obedience is tied to being a servant, isn't it? And what does it mean to be obedient? If you're a servant, right? Think about, think about a servant. Like back when people had servants in their households, right? And they had the guy that was the gardener, and they had the lady that was the cook, and they had the guy that was the butler. And they were the servants in your household, right? And they were submitted to you. They didn't have a say, did they? The only say they had was, yes, sir. No, sir. How far, sir? How high do you want me to jump? Right? And so service or servanthood has is tied to obedience, and obedience is tied to submission. Isn't it? Put that scripture back, that last one back up there, Carol. Number 16, verse 16. uh, Romans 6, 16. His servants you are to whom you obey. Who are you obeying? Who are you serving? Whether of sin unto death... Of obedience unto righteousness sounds to me like a choice. Paul is saying to the church, you got, you're going to serve somebody. I've, I've mentioned this before. There was a, a guy in the world that wrote this song. You're going to have to serve somebody. I think it was Willie Nelson. He said in that song, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, that might be a worldly song, but it's still true. You're going to be serving somebody today. You've already been serving somebody today. You might be serving your flesh. You might be serving the devil. You might be serving your own mindset, your own wants and will and desire and purpose. Or you might be serving the Lord. The only one who really knows that is you and God. And so it comes down to a matter of choice. So whether you 
whether of sin unto death, not talking about natural death, is it? Spiritual death. Or of obedience unto righteousness. It's the very least that we could do. If you think about what Jesus did, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Matthew 20, 20 through 28. Matthew 20, 20 through 28. And it says, Then it came, then it came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said, and he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these two my sons may be, may sit, the one on thy right side and hand and the other on thy left in the kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We were able. They didn't even know what he was talking about. And they answered him before they knew what he was saying. Oh, yeah, we're, we're able. No problem. And he said unto them, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for who is prepared of my Father. Don't ask me. Ask the Father. That, there you go. Jesus again saying, it's not me. It's the Father. But Jesus and and, uh, and all the ten heard it. They were moved with indignation against the two brethren. You see, they're they're thinking in terms of of natural fleshly things. How in the world could they? How dare they ask? We some of us deserve to be on the right hand and on the left. How dare they? They were moved with indignation. But Jesus called them unto him and said, "You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and those are great." Exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever, this is really important right here. Whosoever will grant, and that that word great there is talking about in your own estimation. Sometimes we're in our own estimation, we're, <laughs> we're a little bit greater than we think we are, than, than, we, than we really are. I should say, it's kind of like saying you're you're really not all that in a bag of chips, okay? So sometimes in our own estimation, we see ourselves a little higher than than we should. So he was telling them, but whatsoever, whosoever will be great among you, let him be a minister. That, That word minister there is the same word as servant or slave, okay? And whosoever will be chief or of the highest rank, right? Well, I've been in the church longer than that, that saint, that, that new convert that's been here six months. I got rank, right? We don't do that, do we? I don't know if we do that here, but human nature sometimes, man, you know, and then, and that's whoever's chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man, by example, came not to be ministered to, but to minister or to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Are we giving our lives as a ransom? Is it not about us and all about Jesus every day, all day? 
I'm just asking a question. A servant is a slave. One who is in permanent relation of servitude to another. His will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. His will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. One, generally, one serving, bound to serve in bondage. Are you in bondage to Jesus Christ? Are you? Am I? Are we? Are we my servant? Do we really, really, really belong to him? Do we really? Does that scripture really ring true in our life that says you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Right? You don't know the day of your death. You had no idea what the day of your birth, when it was coming. Right? But we do know that there's coming a day. It's like that, I don't remember that guy's name that came here and preached, but he said we all have an appointment. We got a heavenly appointment. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us, we're going to give an answer for our, our ideas, for our actions, for all that we did for the kingdom or didn't do for the kingdom. We're going to give an answer. And we're not going to be able to take any witnesses with us. It's just going to be us and him. What's he going to say? What are we going to say? Jesus willingly paid the price that we should have had to pay for the sin that we've committed and or will commit. He paid the ultimate price. And we know it was a pretty ultimate price. He tried to get out of it, but he said, nevertheless, not my will. He taught us a lesson right there on the mount when he said that. He taught us a lesson. He was speaking to us today. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Do we take that attitude with God when we're talking to him and listening to him? Nevertheless, Lord, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You tell me where to go. I want to go over there, but if you want me to go over there, I I don't want to go over there, but that's where you're telling me to go, I'll go there. Because I want to go where you're telling me to go, because if I go over there, we, we know about a guy in the Bible that happened to, right? Jonah. God was telling him to go to Nineveh. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Can't you send me somewhere else? Those Ninevites, they're, they're wicked and bad, and, and you should just wipe them off the map. No, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he tried to run away from God's will. And whole kinds of bad stuff happened to him. And then he said, oh, 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 okay, 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 okay. I see. Yeah. He had the, where did he have the whales spew him out? Right there on the shore of Nineveh. <laughs> he said, no, I said go to Nineveh. Matter of fact, here, I'll take you there. <laughs> right? Do you want to have to go through that? Something like that to find what the will of God is and say, I wish I'd have listened. Right? 
You just never know. What seems like totally just way out there, like no way, there is no way God would ever send me there. But man, when you get there, after a little while you go, man, if I hadn't come here and done what God said, I'd have missed this blessing over here, and I'd have missed this over here, and I'd have missed this opportunity over here. Right? One of the one of the things that's, that's going to just eat people alive when they're sitting in eternity in hell is regret. My opinion. The regret of knowing that you had the chance and you passed it up. You had the opportunity to choose to serve God and to listen to God and to follow God's will, and you missed it. Anybody ever felt regret before? Man, I wish I'd have taken that opportunity. I'll never forget the guy I grew up with in grade school was telling me one day, we were like grown teenagers or almost 18, 19 years old, and he said some guy came to his dad one day and said, hey, man, you need to buy some stock in a company called IBM. This was back in the 70s, right? Early 70s. And he said his dad, he remembered as a kid hearing his dad tell this guy, what's IBM? I am not wasting my money on something called IBM. And he told the guy to pound sand or whatever. And ten years later, he was kicking himself. Cause he, cause IBM just went pew. <laughs> he was going, man, I could have bought it for pennies on the dollar. And I said, no, that's regret. <laughs> right? God's going to ask you to take a gamble and do something that you would not normally do. Am I right? Ask Abraham. Right? Ask Abraham. He told him to leave his family. Pack the U-Haul and get out of town. Love his dad, take his wife and kids, take all his stuff, his servants, and pack the U-Haul and just start driving. Where do you want me to go? I'll tell you when you get there. How many of us would do that? Honestly, I don't know if I would. <laughs> because I've come pretty close. <laughs> God in his mercy at least gave me a destination. Right? <laughs> Actually, when he told me to come up here, he said, you will go to Wisconsin and you will serve me there. He really never actually said a destination specifically, but he put me here. Okay? And I asked, where in Wisconsin? And there was nothing else after that. That's all he said was, you will go to Wisconsin and you will serve me there. Boom, end of story. Trust me or not. Like he was saying, do you trust me? You've been praying. You were fasting. You were looking for an answer. There it is. What are you going to do with it? It was my choice, wasn't it? I could have said, nope, not going up there. And everybody up, everybody in my family and some that aren't family tried to tell me, you're out of your mind. What in the world are you going to do in the frozen tundra up there? I don't know. Honestly, I told him I don't know, but that's where God's sending me. 
That's his business. When I get there, he'll he'll tell me. And he wouldn't even let me tell her. <laughs> God's awesome. Right? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. My wife could probably quote this. This was one of the first scriptures I had to learn from memory. If my pastor asked me every service that I was at that church what the scripture was, and after about the third time I said, I'm going to learn this if, it, if it's the last thing I do. Hebrews, no, wrong. Oh, no. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is a different one. It was Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore. We'll get to that one in a minute. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin with those so easily beset or kind of, what's beset mean? Kind of holds us back, right? Kind of something that kind of stops us in the, in the middle of our trip, like a little side trip, like a rabbit hole or something. We just kind of get sidetracked, right? That does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Who determines what the race is? God does. It's not the race you chose. It's the one he chose. You're just supposed to show up and race. You're not supposed to ask any questions, right? He can, but he might answer you. He might not. Look on, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. All the faith you need is in him. Just, just trust him. For the joy that was set before him. What was that joy that was set before him? Endured the cross, despising the shadow, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Angels and principalities and powers being subject unto him. Don't you want to be connected to Jesus if, if he's in charge of all that? I want I want to be a part. And he went to the he went to the cross with joy. The the ultimate service and sacrifice that anybody could do, you know. Would you lay your life down for, for your brother, your sister, your friend? Scarcely a man do that in the natural. But Jesus did it for all of us. He carried all of that weight and all of that, the weight of all of our sin and all of our mess and all of our iniquity and all of our the stuff that we get ourselves into. And he carried all that to the cross so we didn't have to. Are we joyfully enduring the cross that He's given us to bear? Are we? Just ask yourself. Because he's given you a cross to bear. Now, what is your cross? It might be physical things. It, your cross might be family things. Your cross might be something else. Whatever it is, it was designed for you. And he's going to make you bear that cross. You need that. I need that. Just to, to remind me every day that I need him. Right? We need him. We can't do this by ourselves. We didn't, he didn't, we didn't save ourselves. He had to draw us and, and bring us in and, and cause us to repent and, and weep tears and come to an altar and, and, and snot and, and, and all that stuff and, and get the Holy Ghost and get back. He had to draw us to that. We had to choose to, we had to want that. What happened to that? Are we gladly serving the Lord with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, with our whole strength, 
in our whole life? Jesus spoke some words to his disciples on the subject of serving. John 12, verse 20 through 26. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came there, therefore Philip, which was uh, of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, where would see Jesus? Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it laugheth around, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. What does that mean? If you love your life right now, if, you're, if your now natural human life is more important to you than serving the Lord, if you love your life, you'll lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, any man, any human, any person, serve me, he will follow me. And where I, that were, and where I am, there shall he also, there, there, there shall also be my servant, my servant be. If any man serve me, he will, him will my father honor. Even Jesus was talking about serving. In the Amplified, it says, The one who loves his life eventually loses it through death. But the one who hates his life in this world and is concerned with pleasing God will keep it from, keep it for life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must continue to faithfully follow me without hesitation, holding steadfastly to me, conforming to my example of living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. And wherever I am in heaven's glory, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Wow. He's really asking us to just give up complete control of everything. Right? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 through 20. But, call out that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Y'all have heard this before. Don't you know your body? That's talking about this body right here, right? Yours and mine, our body. Right? Our human body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. What you have of God. And you're not your own. You didn't get the Holy Ghost by yourself. You didn't give it to yourself. Well, I gave it to you but God. It's God's Spirit in you. It's God's body. You're not your own. For you're bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Now let's go to Romans, um, yes, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is just about right. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. That word, therefore, is an, um, it's kind of like and, but, or one of those kind of conjunction words. It's sort of, John's other thought. So in his verse before this, in the chapter before this, he was talking to them about kind of the same stuff that Joshua was talking about, about how they served and how the Jews were 
Paul was talking to the Gentiles, so he was talking about the Jews and how they, they were kind of missing out on this whole Jesus thing. And so God was saying, fine, I'll send you over here to talk to the Gentiles. And so he, he was beseeching them, he was begging them. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Why did they sacrifice their children and, and all those things to those idols? Why? What was the purpose? What was, what was the purpose behind sacrificing their children? To appease the idol and to worship the idol, right? So he's telling us to worship him. He's telling the church to worship whoever by presenting their bodies. You know, take the child and, and go up and lay it on the altar of Molech, and it would burn the child up, right? And people sacrifice their children for a false god. We don't do that today, do we? Oh, yes, we do. That you present, here we go again, it's your choice to serve God. It's a, the life of service is a choice. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You gotta be willing to do it. You gotta go lay your own body, mind, soul, spirit, heart, everything on the altar. You gotta do it. I can't do it for you. God's not going to make you do it. You don't have to do We don't have to serve God. We can walk out that door right now and never come back. And God, he cares, but he loves you, but it's your choice. He's going to let you make your own choices, right? He gave us that gift of choice. He made us what they call free moral agents, right? We're the only those in the world that have that. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You're, if you're a servant, it's it's more than more than reasonable to expect you. If God saved you, if God delivered you, if God did all this stuff, and if He drew you to Him and gave you the opportunity to choose to serve Him, it's the least you could do. It's like I was saying before about somebody that does something fabulous and out, out of this world for you and, and you're just falling all over yourself like, man, if there's anything I can do to repay you, if there's anything I can do, just, just tell me. That should be our attitude. That's what he's asking here. Verse 2. And be conformed to this world. Once again, choice. You can either... You know, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. It all depends on who you obey, right? We read that. It all depends on who you make yourself obedient to and submitted to. You're going to listen to that mess that the enemy's putting in your mind, or are you going to say, no, I'm not listening to that. I'm going to do what the Lord says, even if it doesn't make sense. Even if the rest of the world thinks I'm whacked out and weird, I don't care. I'm serving the Lord because there's going to come a judgment day someday and I'm not going to be one of those that gets left behind. Sorry. Right? Above all else, I must be saved. By the renewal of your mind. Right? 
How often do we need to renew our mind? What does the Bible say? Somewhere it says day by day. Right? Somewhere. I'm not a Bible scholar. But I know it says that somewhere. It's day by day. That you may prove. What does it mean to prove? You prove something. You don't, when you go out and buy some scuba gear to go scuba diving, you, just because it's new and just because it's got all the new rubber and all the new pieces on it, you still got to hook that thing up and get those tanks filled up and go out and prove it. Make sure that there's no leaks. Make sure that there's nothing wrong with some manufacturer error on it, right? You're not going to go out in, in 150 feet of water to prove it. You're going to go out in like five feet of water to prove it, <laughs> right? Seriously. In case something happens, you don't have very far to go to get back to air. Right? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he's not going to give you all the details, folks. He's not going to give me all the details. He didn't. He's just going to tell you to go. What sends these missionaries overseas? Does, does he give them all the details, Sister Linda? No. Because if he did, guess what? They probably wouldn't go. If he told them all the stuff they were going to have to deal with and go through physical ailments and all kinds of junk they got to deal with, would they go? They'd, they, man, they'd be looking for the exit. Right? But they go by faith. And they go with the attitude of God is sending me. He's going to take care of it. If he's asking me to go, he's already equipped me. He knows the end of a thing before the beginning of a thing. If he's asking you to serve, by the way, which he is, it's not if he is, he is. Right? Is he? He's asking us to serve, a life of service. It's not our own life anymore. Is this okay tonight? Hallelujah. Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. We thank you for the opportunity to choose to serve you tonight, Father. We thank you that we are able to 